This is day 19 of our daily Bible reading. We will read Exodus chapters 23 through 26 and Psalm chapter 19. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for being a beacon of hope and a light in this world for us to follow. Lord, we are not deserving of the grace and the blessings that you've given us. We are so often ungrateful for these things, and we struggle sometimes to be in the world that you've placed us in. But at this time of refreshing, Lord, help us to be at peace in your presence. Help us to remember that you have already conquered the world. You are the King of Kings on your throne, and nothing is beyond your ability, and it is all under your dominion. Help us today to spend time in your word and just to soak in your presence. May it cause us to change in some way, to repent and to seek your face in all aspects of our lives. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of being a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat. And whatever they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female slave, as well as your stranger, may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard, and do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I have commanded you, at the appointed time in the month Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year 
when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you, and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you, so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate, and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you, little by little, until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land, because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings 
and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and they drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you, as the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. They shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings for it, and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, 
and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed from it. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long and one cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a gold border around it. You shall make for it a rim of a handbreadth around it, and you shall make a gold border for the rim around it. You shall make four gold rings for it, and put rings on the four corners which are on its four feet. The rings shall be close to the rim as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, so that with them the table may be carried. You shall make its dishes, and its pans, and its jars, and its bowls, with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shaft are to be made of hammered work. Its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Six branches shall go out from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from its one side, and three branches of the lampstand from the other side. Three cups shall be placed like almond blossoms in the one branch, a bulb and its flower, and three cups shaped like almond blossoms in the other branch, a bulb and a flower. So four, six branches going out from the lampstand. And in the lampstand, four cups shaped like almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. A bulb shall be under the first pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the second pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the third pair of branches coming out of it, for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Their bulbs and their branches shall be of one piece with it. All of it shall be one piece of hammered work of pure gold. 
Then you shall make its lamps seven in number, and they shall mount its lamps so as to shed light on the space in front of it. Its snuffers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made from a talent of pure gold, with all its utensils. See that you make them after the pattern for them, which was shown to you on the mountain. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twisted linen and purple and blue and scarlet material. You shall make them with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. The length of each curtain shall be twenty-eight cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be joined to one another, and the other five curtains shall be joined to one another. You shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set, and likewise you shall make them on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make fifty loops in the one curtain, and you shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite each other. You shall make fifty clasps of gold, and join the curtains to one another with the clasps, so that the tabernacle will be a unit. Then you shall make curtains of goat's hair, for a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make eleven curtains in all. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall have the same measurements. You shall join five curtains by themselves, and the other six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the first set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make fifty clasps of bronze, and you shall put the clasps into the loops and join the tent together so that it will be a unit. The overlapping part that is left over in the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that is left over, shall lap over the back of the tabernacle. The cubit on one side and the cubit on the other of what is left over in the length of the curtains of the tent shall lap over the sides of the tabernacle on one side and on the other to cover it. You shall make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of porpoise skins above. Then you shall make the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood, standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of each board, and one and a half cubits the width of each board. There shall be two tenons for each board, fitted to one another. Thus you shall do for all the boards of the tabernacle. You shall make the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards for the south side. You shall make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for its two tenons, and two sockets under another board for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, twenty boards, and their forty sockets of silver, 
two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. For the rear of the tabernacle, to the west, you shall make six boards. You shall make two boards for the corners of the tabernacle at the rear. They shall be double beneath, and together they shall be complete to its top to the first ring. Thus it shall be with both of them. They shall form the two corners. There shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, sixteen sockets, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. Then you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the rear side to the west. The middle bar in the center of the boards shall pass through from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold as holders for the bars. And you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan, which you have been shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold, on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps, and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the holy of holies. You shall set the table outside the veil, and the lampstand opposite the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the doorway of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver. You shall make five pillars of acacia for the screen and overlay them with gold, their hooks also being of gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Psalm chapter 19 For the Choir Director, a Psalm of David the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, let's briefly look at what we saw here in Exodus. But let me start off by saying that we have now entered into what some people would call the drier part of the Bible. There are going to be parts of Exodus, and especially Leviticus, that are going to be a little difficult to read, because they are heavy into laws, and to policies, and ordinances, and descriptions of things, and it doesn't always catch everybody's interests. However, it is still God's Word, and there is still something to be learned from it. So I ask you to give it a chance, and let's see what we can find in God's Word that is of relevance to us today. So in chapter 3, what we see is the end of what is discussed in chapter 2, which mostly concerns civil obligations to each other as neighbors, as well as how we interact with God. In verse 10, we see some laws concerning the Sabbaths and some appointed feasts that the Lord wants them to observe. The Sabbath is mentioned again because the Sabbath is important to God. It is in the Ten Commandments, for one, but also he understands that human beings need to rest, not only from their physical labors, but like it says at the end of verse 13, you don't mention the name of other gods. You are meant to be meditating on the Word of God while you are resting. Then in verse 20, there are some laws related to conquest. And this is going to be important to remember for us because there are specific commands here that God is giving the Israelites about how they are to interact with the people in the promised land. But before we go into that, the Lord mentions that his angel is going to go before him in order to guide the people into the promised land and to protect them. Now, it's unclear whether this is the angel of the Lord, as in the Lord himself, or if it is an actual angel that he appointed over Israel. But most scholars seem to suggest that it is the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself leading his people. And I can see how that makes sense, because the Lord himself considers himself to be the king of Israel. We will see that when we go into 1 Samuel, when the nation of Israel is asking for a human king, he reminds them that he is their king. And that's how he always intended it to be. 
but we're going to see if they're going to obey their king along the way or not. And the short answer is going to be no, no they're not. Take a look at verse 23. It says that my angel will go before you and bring you into the land with all these different peoples, and I will completely destroy them. Remember God says this, because we will evaluate for ourselves whether or not Israel is going to completely destroy them or not. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds. They won't do that until you go into the book of Judges. And then when you go into Judges, you're going to see that the cycle of worshiping other gods, then they get oppressed because God puts conquerors in their path. Then they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord rescues them, and they're restored to him. And then the cycle will repeat over and over and over. But in these later verses, God promises that he's going to do certain things to help drive them out, such as putting fear into the hearts of the people, sending hornets, whether or not these are real hornets or they are an illustration of something, I'm not really sure. But he's going to be doing some things before they even arrive that are going to prepare the people for the fear of the Lord and the fear of the nation of Israel. So God's going to be working in their minds before they even get there, which is excellent. Here's another one we need to remember for later. Verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. Remember God's command here. Verse 33. They shall not live in your land, because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare for you. This is why God is content with eradicating the people in the promised land. They are so deep in their sin that God is going to judge them. And we need to be honest with ourselves. At least at one point when we read the Bible, sometimes we feel God can be a little rough on the people in the promised land. Why would he want the nation of Israel to completely wipe out a civilization? Why does he want them to destroy man, woman, and child? That's a little cruel, Lord. God is a God of genocide. Well, not so. For one, God is supreme judge over his creation. He is righteous in his ruling. So we cannot say that God is just a cruel taskmaster. Nor can we say that he is a murderer. That is not who God is. Instead, he gives us the context here as to why he wants these people wiped out. They cannot live in your land because they will make you sin against me. He is trying to protect his people from being sinful. These people are going to be a bad influence on them. They are going to cause Israel to stray from God, and he's trying to prevent that. That is why God is doing it. Not only that, but also these other people are not going to be repentant. They are not going to listen to who God is, with a few exceptions. So this is an illustration for us about how the world at large is going to go to hell. And there are a few people that God has chosen as his people that he will preserve. 
and that is what we call the church. The real church of God has the Holy Spirit within it. So that means there are a lot of fakers, a lot of false Christians in our midst. So just be aware of that. I find chapter 24 to be very sad because they go through all this ritual. They go through the ratification of the covenant. They put the final seal, if you will, on the covenant between God and Israel. And they jump right on it, don't they? All of the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. We'll see how long that lasts. Or even verse 7. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. That is a very lofty statement, is it not? And unfortunately, we fall into the same trap too. I have made covenants with God myself. I've made promises to God. I've committed things to God. And many times I have failed to keep them. And I have embarrassed myself, and I feel nothing but shame when I approach the throne sometimes. And yet the people of Israel are doing the same thing. Again, we can't mock them. We can't look down upon them. Because they are an illustration of all of us. We are no better than them. We are no different from them. We are also fallen human beings who make the same mistakes. But the reason why this is in the Bible is because with this knowledge comes responsibility. We need to learn from the past, and we must not act in the way that they did in the past. This was all written for our instruction, as Paul has said. And so we need to learn from the mistakes of the Israelites and not commit them either. That is the intent behind this. Then, in chapter 25, we see the plans and the outlines given to Moses for completing the tabernacle, a traveling temple, if you will, of the Lord God. He starts off by giving them the materials that will be needed for the project. Then he tells them how to build the ark, and this is what we typically call the Ark of the Covenant. It is all gold, and it has poles that you insert into it that you carry it with rings. This is important because God is going to instruct that only the Levites can carry it with the poles on their backs and insert it into the rings. If you carry it any other way or you touch it, it will kill you. This is going to be important for later because you're going to see times in Israel's history where they do not follow this command and things will happen. Then he gives designs for the table, and this table is going to hold what is called the bread of the presence, which are these flat cakes that are arranged in a certain way. Then it's going to have its utensils, and all of this is going to be covered with gold. And God has commanded that there should always be bread on the table before him. Then beginning in verse 31, we see the creation of the lampstand. And these lampstands are going to come back into play in the Revelation because there are going to be lampstands that Jesus is going to address. And in some ways, they typify Christ because he is the light of the world. Now it says that all of it shall be made from a talent of pure gold. 
So let's stop a brief second and let's talk about measurements. You may be wondering what a cubit is. A cubit is roughly about 18 inches long. So if you were to take your arm, okay, and you were to bend it into an L shape, if you touch the tip of your elbow and touch the tip of your middle finger, that is a cubit. That was the average cubit in that day. Now, it mentions a handbreadth, which the handbreadth is the distance from one side of your palm to the other side of your palm. Then it mentions a talent of gold. A talent is between 50 to 80 pounds. So that's a lot of gold that they're talking about here. I say it being a range because there's a difference between Hebrew talents and Egyptian talents. This is important because Moses was trained as an Egyptian. And so sometimes in his records, things are mentioned in Egyptian measurements and not in Hebrew measurements. So just to be clear on that, that's why there's a range. So sometimes when it's unclear whether or not this is an Egyptian cubit or a Hebrew cubit, it'll put in a range like that. In chapter 26, we see the creation of the curtains which are going to cover the entire outside of the tabernacle. Then we have the boards, which are going to be for the flooring of the tabernacle. And then you will have the veils. Now the veils are of deep significance. The veil is going to be set up between what is called the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy place is the middle section of the temple where you will go and do your sacrifices. The Holy of Holies is at the deepest part of the tabernacle, and that is where the Ark of the Covenant will be. This place cannot be accessed by anyone, except for the high priest once a year, so that he can sacrifice for the sins of the people. This is where the presence of God is supposed to rest, and so no one can approach God and view his holiness like that. So typically what they would do when the high priest goes in there to sacrifice, they would tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he messed up somehow, or he failed to follow the rules, he will likely get struck dead. And so they don't want to leave his body in there. Therefore, they would put a rope around his ankle so they can drag him out in case he dies. But the significance of that veil is to illustrate that there is a barrier between man and God, and that there is only one person who can bridge the gap between man and God in order to connect them, and that is the high priest. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is a book that is almost completely dedicated to arguing the case for Jesus Christ being our ultimate, final, eternal high priest. And it's a very compelling argument. He is the bridge between God and man. He is the access point. It says in Scripture that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is the exclusivity of Christianity. He is the only way to heaven. 
But not only that, but when he died on the cross, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. There was no more separation. There was no more chasm that existed between God and man because Jesus bridged that gap. So symbolically, this is a very vital piece in the tabernacle because it illustrates the rift, the gap between us and God because of our sin. And only Jesus can bridge that gap. And now we can go into Psalm chapter 19. I love this psalm, and I hope you enjoyed it too, because this was an excellent hymn of praise. David starts off by talking about the glory of God that is in his creation. This reminds me of Romans chapter 1, in where Paul argues that God has revealed himself in a general revelation through his creation. When you look at nature, when you look at the intricacies of everything, how everything perfectly fits together and exists in harmony, there has to be an intelligent designer behind it. There has to be something more than just an accident that caused all these things to be. And David recognizes that, and that's why he says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. God is so evident in what he made. And we just have to simply look and marvel at the things that we see and recognize that God made those. Not simply because of the beauty of what he made, but also just the organization and the creativity that was in it. Then you have an illustration here of how the sun rises on one side of the heavens and how it is in a circuit and it ends on the other side of the heavens and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Even David could recognize this fact in astronomy, how the sun is in a circuit around the earth. Now, this is not saying that the sun revolves around the earth, but it could look like that if you don't understand what's going on. But what he's trying to say is that God has designed a circuit for the sun. But what David is saying is that the earth has a circuit around the sun, and it is the same all the time. It is a set thing in the universe. But then when we go into verse 7, he changes gears. He goes through a six-fold description of God's special revelation to his people in all the other ways that God has revealed himself, and most of it is through his word. As we see in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. He has revealed himself through his testimonies, through his precepts, through his commandments, and through his judgments, we have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord being a reverence, an awe for him. It not necessarily means that you cower in fear at his presence, but I think we should do a little bit of that. It puts us in the right mind perspective. God is so much greater than us. And we should be afraid of him because he is so much mightier than we are. And we should dare not cross him. Then David illustrates the benefits of following God. That all of these things about God are better than any material wealth you can have or anything that you can enjoy in creation. 
gold was and is still considered the most valuable metal to date. As well as you have honey back then. That was the sweetest thing that you could find in their day. There is no physical thing that can be satisfied except through knowing who God is. And then David notes something in verse 13. He asks God to keep his servant away from presumptuous sins. Sins that we commit in our ignorance. God forgives sins of ignorance. But what David is trying to say here is, even though God will forgive sins of ignorance, the more that we spend time with God in Scripture and in prayer, we will have less ignorance. We will be more aware of what God expects from us, and as we get closer to Him, we will be more attuned to His will. And when we are more attuned to His will, then we will have less ignorance, because we know exactly what God wants from us. Therefore, that responsibility is thrust back onto us. We must seek the Lord while he may be found, and we must obey him at all times. And my prayer for me is the same prayer that I have for you. Like it says in the second half of that verse, Let them not rule over me. So often our sins rule over us. And my prayer for us is that we allow the Holy Spirit to give us power, and to help us to overcome these sins in our lives that tend to consume us. And with that, that leads us into the verse to memorize for today. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible that I constantly think about. Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock, and my redeemer. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.